0: Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the
1: stories they have to share with your host and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr.
2: Funkenstein. Alexander Flornington. They call him Alexander Flornington. Sort of. Tim, have you ever seen Hamilton?
1: Yeah, I saw it on when it came on TV. But it's, you know. I'm not a very cultured guy. So there was a 50, 50 (laughs) chance that I was going to miss that entire part, but I recognized that one immediately.
2: I got a good story about that. So this is, I don't know, about three years ago, was at a wedding in Chicago and the wedding wedding weekend in Chicago, the wedding was at like five or six o'clock at night, walking with the wife's family to go and get some some lunch, some brunch, and we're walking around. And we walked right by the, the Broadway in Chicago type of thing. And it was like Hamilton and something else. So father-in-law's like, oh, Hamilton, I really wanted to see that. Let me go walk up and see if I can get a ticket to the matinee. We're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. no way, no way. Not, not going to happen. So we walked up to the, the ticket office and we're like, so like, what are the chances? Like, There's no chance of us getting a ticket to the matinee. And he's like, well, you're going to need to get in line. We're like, where's the line? He's like, oh, it's behind these two people right here. It was a mother and a daughter sitting right there. We're like, this is the line? I mean, how many tickets do you have? They're like, I don't know. We released like 30 tickets in about 10 minutes. We're like, oh, my God. Okay. So we waited for 10 minutes. Anyways, the way that it sort of split up, my wife and I got to sit in the second row. Interestingly, I think right behind the Chicago Bears offensive line. I mean, all these oh, yeah. dudes had Bears gear. They were all huge you're like, I think this is the bears O line. They had front row. We had second row. And that was a mind-boggling experience. So you're
1: you're really close, but you still can't see anything <laughs> yeah. behind the big guys. Right, right. So yeah, here's always, here's my problem plastic. with Hamilton, the the musical. They bury so much dialogue in the songs itself, because I'm actually enjoying the music and bopping along and not paying attention to the dialogue. You actually miss a story if you're not listening to the songs, you
2: know. It's incredible. It's also just kind of mind blowing to be like, oh, okay. I got it. George Washington is black. I see. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was interesting to see. Yeah. We really don't
2: care as long as you can sing and act real good. It doesn't matter what you're, we're just going to put you in the part. So my man, Alex Flournoy has come to join us today. How you doing, Alex?
0: Doing well, Jeremy. How you doing?
2: Man, it's Friday afternoon. We normally record these on Friday afternoon, so couldn't be better. Have you seen Hamilton?
0: I've seen bits and pieces on Disney, never, never live like you guys have seen it. Ah,
1: it's it's really, it really is a good show. So, Alex, uh, you know, I don't. I mean, we just met, and I know you've known Jeremy for quite a while. So, what's your background? How did you get into the industry?
0: Well, I grew up in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, my dad was a petroleum engineer and uh, ran an oil and gas exploration company, and uh, I went to LSU, studied petroleum engineering. Thought I was gonna be a production engineer, operations engineer for an operator. And about a month before I graduated, played golf uh, in an SPE golf tournament. Uh, met a guy named Frank Wimbish, who was the VP of sales for Compresco. Uh, about 12th or 13th hole, a couple of beers deep. He says, uh, you might be an engineer, but you're a salesman and I'm gonna hire you. And uh, here I am 10 and a half years later, and I'm uh, still still in sales and never uh, went back to the operator side. That was uh, really how I got there.
1: Nice. Wow, so another deal closed on a golf course. There's gotta be hundreds of those. So when I was in school and I'm, I went to petroleum engineering as well, there was a feeling in the engineering department. Ah, you don't wanna go into sales. You don't wanna go to work for a service company. You wanna go work for an oil company. So when you decided to go in that direction, was that, you know, well received by your peers or did you want to do that? Or, you know, did was there any resistance or was it, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go at it full bore? No, I mean, you're
0: exactly right. I mean, the motto that was kind of kind of preached down from the, from our colleagues as well as the professors and everybody else was if you, if you got a 4.0, you go to work for a major. If you got a 3.5, you go to work for a Devon or an EOG. You got, you know, less than that. You try to find work with a mom and poppy and pee. <laughs> can't figure that out. You go work for a service company and I don't even know if sales was even an option that anybody considered with an engineering. Right. And, um, you know, I think my skill set certainly is uh, much more personal than technical. I really studied petroleum engineering because my dad ran an oil and gas company and I wanted to get in the business. But uh, the satisfaction that I've got from the service side has been so much greater. And I've had, I've had several customers, you know, ask me, you know, do you, you know, do you feel like you're sitting on the wrong side of the desk? Should you, should you take a step mm-hmm. and come join an operating company? You can provide a lot of value. And my answer is always, you know, I love my job. Every company I've ever worked for, I love my boss. I love the flexibility it provides and solving problems for multiple people. And and uh, I, I, I haven't looked back. I, I, I love the service side of the business. I love the sales and operations and solving problems for customers. And it's really just been a, a natural fit that I think uh, God blessed me with meeting Frank Wimbush that day to convince me to go into sales. And I've yeah. enjoyed it.
2: That's great. You know, I I want to talk a little bit about your your pops, because I remember when you and I first started, I think we met 2017. We live in the same town here, Lafayette, not Louisiana, but Colorado. And I was really impressed by all of the knowledge you had. And it made sense to me that you grew up in the industry. So tell me a little bit about what your dad's oil company focused on. Uh, was it primarily Louisiana onshore assets? Was it offshore? Was it stuff in Texas? Like, what was his focus? And did you feel like you picked up a little bit just, just sort of sitting around and and looking and seeing what your dad did at the time?
0: Yeah, you know, he uh, he got a, got at LSU petroleum engineering uh, '83, and uh, went to work. I think that was the year when he said that uh, the motto was "Stay alive till '85." And the old <laughs> what do you call a petroleum engineer? A waiter. And, uh, yeah. he, you know, he, he, uh, had some struggles getting started, but he found a really nice man named Robert Smitherman, uh, who was running a, a local oil and gas company out of Shreveport was, uh, spent the first 10, 15 years of his career, mostly as a company man on a drilling rig, uh, also doing production and completions. But that was, uh, when he was putting 300,000 miles on a Jeep, a Jeep Cherokee about every five years and, and not home. And then in 1997, he met a fellow named Bill O'Brien and Bill was looking to start an exploration company and asked around for some advice on a well-rounded engineer to help him because he was an economics guy and a money guy. And uh, he connected him with my dad. And so in 1997, they started O'Brien Energy Company out of Shreveport, Louisiana. They were mostly focused in kind of Southeast Texas, uh, Livingston and Limestone Parish, uh, drilling vertical gas wells. And uh, they borrowed a little bit of money, kind of got started, and uh, ended up borrowing a whole lot more money and and drilled about 240 or 250 wells uh, from 97 to 2008, uh, of which my dad went, you know, became the president of the company and the COO, still had Bill as his CEO. So, you know, the early days, I was spending time on the rig with my dad, and he ran a consulting company. And mostly was a consultant until he became a full-time in-house employee. And his first job was being the president and COO. Of, uh, of O'Brien Energy uh, for a full EMP business. And through that that process starting in 97, you know, I I, I started taking a more of a closer approach to wanting to study petroleum engineering in, in the business and was very interested. And he started letting me sit in on some meetings, go on some, you know, big deer hunts and meet the guys and see, the, see what the industry was like. And then I got to LSU and I still wasn't sure I'm studying petroleum engineering. I, I studied business my first semester. Realized every single person I talked to was a business major, and I kind of needed to differentiate myself. So I bit the bullet. I'm not really very engineering minded, so had to uh, really struggle through engineering school. But I always appreciated, you know, as he as he did become the president and executive in the company, you know, bringing me into some of the meetings, let me go on some of the trips, and listen in on some of the meetings to get comfortable with that type of people. And I think, you know, graduating as a you know 22, 23 year old college student. I never had any issues sitting in a meeting, whether it was in the field or whether it was a CEO of a company. I felt that comfort level from the experience that I'd had growing up with him. So it definitely helped on not just knowing about compressors and knowing about borrowing money and drilling wells and failures. And not everybody that goes in this business gets rich. And, you know, it's a risk reward business with a lot of calculated risk. And so it really taught me, you know, what the business was about. And it really made me comfortable to uh, to kind of have a meeting with with any any level of uh, of customer,
1: that is, it's a really cool experience awesome. to be able to have that that background at such an early age. Yeah, you know, so Jeremy, when I was when we were doing our pre call, I was asking you about you know Alex's accent. And you know, he said it really wasn't that bad. But man, Louisiana is coming out of him all over the place. The only thing he didn't say is this old boy at the deer camp or something like that. But man, I could really hear it coming out of you. So you went into sales. So, and I know you said you went to work for Capresco. And what is that? What you guys? What you're selling now? Are compressors? Or what are you? What's your line of business now?
0: No. So March 2010, I graduated December 2009. Took a few months off to have a little fun after having a lot of fun in college. I really didn't need the time. (laughs) And uh, started in March uh, in Shreveport, Louisiana. I had a boss named Mark Hedges, still one of the greatest uh, guys I've ever met, Uh, really kind of taught me the ropes, kind of an old, you know, used car salesman type mentality, but with an oil field grit. And a month or two into it, he uh, let me move over to Tyler, Texas. Uh, So I was only about an hour and a half from home. And I was uh, the sales rep, for Compresco doing wellhead compression, all little sub-50 horsepower uh, wellhead compressors. And I was in Tyler there working for Mark, learning the ropes, and uh, met our VP of International Operations, a fellow named Kevin Book. Again, still one of my best friends. Went to uh, Scotland last year with him on a golf trip, my dad and I. Ah. And still keep really good in touch with him. But he was a Canadian who had uh, moved to Oklahoma to be the VP of Compresco. And I met him and he said, "Hey, you know, what do you think about moving to Calgary and kind of helping run our our sales and operations out of our Canadian division?" Well, being from Louisiana, uh, about the farthest north I'd been is Colorado, and I said, "Well, you know, I'm engaged, so let me check with the wife on this or the soon-to-be wife." And he flew us both up to Calgary uh, in the winter time. We got there, you know, negative temperatures and. We uh, first meal we had was at Earl's uh, Tin Palace, kind of the original flagship Earl's. Oh yeah, man.
2: There you go. And there.
0: Tim uh, and I spent been three, or, there. spent three or four real solid days in Calgary and decided, yeah, you know, we'll do it, but but not until after we get married. So I I, I flew back and forth between Fort Worth and and Calgary every other week for about six months. Uh, had the wedding, went on our honeymoon, day after the honeymoon, loaded the house up and uh, <laughs> north and. Uh, nice. head- And uh, spent three years full-time in Calgary, six months, kind of back and forth leading up to it. And maybe three or four months after I uh, finished my three-year work permit, I had to go back again, but uh, worked for Kim from 2011 to 2014 during the good old days of Calgary with $100 plus oil. It was a lovely place to live. And that was still with Presco. And then, uh, you know, I finished up there and said, you know, I'd really like to live in Austin, Texas or or Denver, Colorado. And uh, they made me an offer for both, uh, decided on Denver. Came on down to Denver, uh, September of 2014, and right about that time, oil decided to,
2: uh, <laughs> to uh, 40 or
0: 30 or whatever it was, and, and then uh, right about that same time, Compresco decided they were going to purchase CSI, Compressor Systems, which was twice as big, but they were private. Compresco was public, so they raised the money. They bought them, and then uh, CSI kind of did a reverse takeover, and it uh, wasn't quite as fun, so I decided to resign from there. And I went over to work for JW Power Company uh, doing more compression sales. But instead of doing small compression, uh, we were doing much larger compression for gas lift and midstream gathering and had a boss there named Bob Belkowski. Again, one of the guys I've learned a lot from. He's still a Denver guy um, and still keeping very good touch with him. Spent been two and a half years uh, with JW. Absolutely loved it and uh, was expecting a promotion that uh, didn't happen. They, they decided they needed somebody that... Sales were so good, they needed more focus on operations, less focus on sales. And I wanted the sales manager role, and they weren't ready to give it to me. So I told them if I couldn't have it, I was going to start interviewing, which I did. (laughs) Luckily, I met a couple of folks at a couple of different companies, got a couple of job offers, and decided that baseline was the route I was going to go. And I didn't know a thing about electricity or generators, but uh, they told me I could figure it out. So I uh, took the job September of 2018 just a little over two years ago. And after eight years in the compression business, got into the power gin business where I am now at baseline. Energy.
2: So I've got a, wow, man, I, I like your story. I think you delivered it really well. First of all, you mentioned Bill O'Brien. So that, that must've been before he started, you know, Ruining the Texans. Dan Pickering, if you're listening, you're a big fan of Bill O'Brien, <laughs> I'm sure. But yeah, um, so I remember you actually taking that job, Alex, because at that time you and I were spending some time together, you know, becoming friends. I'm I'm buddies with your, I guess your your cousin's husband, right? Dave. Yep. That would be a, correct is somebody I met at the gym and, and you and I started realizing, wait a second, we're going to all the same events. The oil and gas industry in Denver is not huge. So I'm curious with the political climate and all of the things happening here in Colorado, what has it been like for you to see rig count drop significantly? Is there still a need for your services here? Are you guys actively still doing business or, or what is the climate like for a services company in Colorado uh, in this kind of crazy last couple years?
0: You know I've been you know real fortunate, you know, I have a technical background, but I kind of pride myself on my relationships and uh, most of the same people who rent compressors rent generators mm. had a very strong connection to most of the operators in the d j basin uh, from the compression world that were pretty transferable to the operator world. It's pretty tough to get people, especially you know big companies, you know noble or others like that, to to jump over on your side whenever. Uh, You got one mechanic. You've just opened a shop. You got three units running with, you know, small operator. Cub Creek was our first customer. Thank you, Cub Creek. Uh, They were also a compression customer of mine. Uh, You know, as I built some reputation um, over the course of the end of 2018 and throughout 2019, uh, 2020 started out excellent. And we were on a trajectory uh, for some pretty significant growth. And, you know, come, you know, right about St. Patrick's Day when things really hit the fan, we uh, started getting pretty worried. Uh, fortunately, some of those connections that I had and those, those relationships I had built uh, decided they were going to pay themselves off uh, in 2020, and we've actually grown by you know over over sixfold, over 600 uh, percent. What? Wow, that uh, is it, crazy. It from March till today, um, and most of that has been attributed to replacing competitors' units with our units. So it's not new drills, it's not new needs. They already had somebody that was doing a pretty fine job. And uh, luckily, they they uh, they trusted me and they put their neck out for me. And uh, would give me one or two sites, say, "Hey, try this out." A Month or two later, I'll check back in. Uh, hey, we're happy. Here's another ten more. Here's another ten more. And mm. and now you know we got fifty or sixty units running in Colorado, and we've got a real nice business unit. We've hired we've hired two new mechanics this year. We've now got three guys working for me here, and um, we've actually had more growth since uh, oil prices went negative to today
1: than we did for the uh, eighteen months leading up to it. So let me ask you. I mean, I'm a little bit naive when it comes to electricity generation or uh, renting generators. I got a fundamental idea of what's going on, but when you're putting a generator out, is it just taking the natural gas from the from the wells and you're generating electricity for operating the pad or operating compressors? Or what are you guys using the the electricity for? Out on uh, is it on well sites or at frac jobs or where is it coming from?
0: Yeah, we're traditionally after the frac. We're traditionally in production operations and in scenarios where they do not have access to the power grid. So if they had purchased power that they had available from say XL Energy, traditionally they would go ahead and use that power. But 70s Ranch and some of these large areas where a lot of these operators operate in the DJ, either the landowner will never let them get power or it just costs too much power to bring in power from the current power line. And so, therefore, if they have electrical needs, the next option is generators. And we do burn the uh, the raw natural gas from the ground, untreated. You know, preferably goes through a couple of separators so we can knock some of the liquid out of it. But we do take the uh, the raw natural gas from the ground, we run it into the generator straight into the engine. We create our horsepower, which then uh, spins our generator in and creates electricity. So some of our sites we've got small fifty kilowatt generators powering a single pumping unit. Some of our sites, we've got multiple 350 kilowatt units powered together, uh, paralleled together to power multiple ESPs or saltwater disposal pumps, uh, pumping units, uh, you know, just central tank battery transfer pumps. Any type of electric motor on site that needs more power than you can get from a solar panel, uh, either is going to need a generator or is going to need access to grid power. And so a lot of times in many of our markets at Baseline, we're the bridge between customer drilling and getting utility power, they may need us for three or six months until that power gets to them. Fortunately, for us in Colorado, you know, I think of the fifty or sixty units I've had out, we've only had five or six releases in the last, you know, two years. And in most most regions, they're having five or six releases every couple of weeks. It's a big unit churn. But in Colorado, kind of when it goes out, if you do a good job, it stays out, and you're kind of the utility provider for that customer. And uh, it's been it's been a fun process because it's easier to build your base when your base stays instead of churning back in. And in Colorado is very unique in the sense that most generators, they may be out for the next five, 10, 15, 20 years life of the project. It allows you to really kind of continuously build your build your business up.
2: Hmm. Man, lo- lots of good stuff. I have a bunch of questions for you. I want to go back to Calgary, though. So what was that like growing up in Shreveport, Louisiana, just, just, just stinking all sweaty and humid and living in Texas and never going north of Colorado. And then all of a sudden you and your, your beautiful bride also from Louisiana, right? You That's guys great. have to, you guys, you guys are going to Calgary and you got to bundle up. You got to get winter coats. You Minus 40. Clothes.
1: Minus yeah. 40. That's what I hear about. What was that like the first time? You know, we had, we had about a 12 day
0: stretch where it never got above negative 40 or below it, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, my wife has a good story. She had a, just got herself a fresh cup of coffee. She was driving. She, she got a job working as an office manager in downtown Calgary and she got in the car and she spills part of her coffee and she thinks, oh no, it's going to spill all over my new, you know, my, my, my work clothes. <laughs> the coffee froze to the steering wheel before. It- <laughs> and, uh. We knew that we were in a new part of the world and we knew that we had some interesting challenges. The first stop we made, you know, uh, may, may frustrate some of the oil and gas folks out there was uh, straight to the Patagonia store on uh, nice. Stephen, yep. or 16th or six, six, Stephen Avenue is kind of like our 16th street mall, uh, 8th Avenue there in Calgary. I actually worked in Bankers Hall West, which is a set of twin towers there, uh, right on, on uh, Bankers Hall or right on Stephen Avenue. We went in there and said, Hey, look, we're from Louisiana. We don't care what it costs give us the warmest <laughs> jackets that you possibly have. And we both bought parkas. And I, I'll tell you what, technology is pretty solid because I could wear a golf shirt underneath that jacket and walk three quarters of a mile from my apartment to my office in sub-zero temperatures and not even get cold. So learning, you know, that you, you can't pretend that it's not cold. You need a hat. You need gloves. You need the proper jacket. You can't just pretend that it's not that cold. You got to You got to respect it when you're in Calgary. It is
1: it is very cold. I mean, if you don't blink enough, your eyes will freak I, shut. It, uh It was a new experience. Yes. Let, me, let me tell you something about minus 40. So <laughs> I, I like that temperature because for those who don't know, minus 40 is the same in Celsius as it is in Fahrenheit. You say minus 40, you're talking both Celsius and Fahrenheit. I've experienced that three times up in Calgary. <clears throat> so Jeremy and I used to work for a company that was based there. and We said go up there for Christmas parties. So minus 40, I decided let's go take everyone out for Chinese food for a brunch one day. And we we walked from our hotel two blocks and I, I glance over at my wife and in the short walk, she has had ice crystals just form on her eyelids, just from a, you know this short walk at minus 40. And, you know, I always thought I had a runny nose when I went up to Calgary. And that's when I realized it wasn't that it was the ice crystals thawing. In my nose when I got to the <laughs> restaurant. So anyway, minus forty is crazy cold. Yeah, I mean, my wife
0: said. I mean, I remember she saw some homeless people and she was like, "How could there possibly be homeless?" Oh my people? god! I, I would assume that they're. Why would they not move somewhere else? Well, fortunately, Calgary had a very strong program for for taking care of those folks. But I remember she just said I think my legs are you know going to freeze solid if we don't get inside pretty soon. And. <sighs> it's a whole new experience for anybody that hasn't experienced it, especially when you look outside and the sun's out and there's not a cloud in the sky, right. full and blue. And you think it looks like a great spring day and it's negative 30 or negative 40. It's very, very deceiving. And uh, we were fortunate that we were able to park our car underground in a parking garage that was heated and then uh, drive and park in another parking garage. And uh, that was heated. And, and the plus 15 system in Calgary is really brilliant. I mean, I could go have 10 meetings in one day Go to yeah. the gym, have ten meetings. Go to the office and never step foot outside. They were all connected uh, on the in between the first and second floor of every building is a giant interconnect. And those who've been to Calgary know about the plus fifteen. It's also a great place to do sales. As you walk around, almost everybody in that town's in oil and gas. And uh, once you get to know people, as you're kind of walking from meeting to meeting, you learn you, you get to meet more and more people. And the plus fifteen is a is a hot spot in a cold winter uh, in Calgary. So yeah,
2: man, that's totally agree. So you know. You guys are both Southerners, Southern boys. I'm from New Hampshire, man. New Hampshire. It's, <laughs> it gets really cold up there. Now, it doesn't get minus 40. I can tell you that. So, Tim, you you had us come up there. I think this was around Christmas time of, of 2010. Okay, we're going to go up for the holiday party. This is a tradition at Energy Navigator. And you and the rest of the Texans and even Marsha, I'm like, you know, whatever. She grew up in Boulder. She doesn't really know cold. You guys are like, all right, we're going to walk the plus 15s. And I said, no, no, no. I'm going to go outside. I got it. And I was woefully unprepared. I definitely got frostbite in my ear. I didn't tell you this cause I had to be tough. Right. Yeah, yeah, my, yes. my ears did not feel right for most of that trip. afterward. <laughs> and Eliana came up my wife and she's like, why would they make you guys come up in the dead of winter? <laughs> I don't understand. Did do they not like you? Or are they trying to torture you? I'm like, well, but technically we don't have to go outside. I just chose to be a maniac and do it. Yeah. But to them,
1: it's just another day. It's just December, yeah. But and and to think, well, let me tell you this though: you think that Calgarians uh, would be used to the cold, or and you know, but it's very cold to them too. There's no acclimating; it's cold. You just know what to do. <laughs> yeah, and the one one positive they
0: have going for them in Calgary though is the Chinook winds. They get these yes, this, uh, coming off of off the mountains that blow back into the city. And so you know, if you go out into Saskatchewan or Manitoba or you know, a lot of these other provinces in, in, in Canada, when the snow hits in October, it's there till April. But in Calgary, you can have negative 40. And then a week later, you can have, you know, 50, 60 degrees and melt all the snow. Mm. And until that next snow comes, the streets are nice and clean. And so it was at least, at least they had a little bit of reprieve from those Chinook winds. And they've got a Chinook mall. Nook is, is a very popular thing to talk about. It gives people headaches. It does all kinds of crazy things. But the one positive thing it does is it, is it warms things up and it melts the snow. So it doesn't just continuously pile on itself like it does in a lot of northern cities.
1: Yeah, that is an interesting phenomenon up there. <clears throat> so I want to kind of come back to the professional stuff now. But so, so Jeremy and I have kind of a running. We started this when, when we decided to start this podcast. The first thing is we just started telling our telling each other funny stories that happen to us in sales meetings. And usually we're doing technology presentations. So we're inside, you know, doing PowerPoint or demonstrations or something like that. It strikes me that, you know, you've got field guys and you're talking, you're going out to field offices to show equipment and do, do things. You've got to have some crazy stories of things that have happened out on the trail. Well, you know,
0: I would say, you know, I kind of thought about this leading up to this, you know, what kind of questions you could ask. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily related to me, but one of the stories that comes to mind when it comes to sales presentations or just being in a sales environment, the same guy that hired me or that was my first boss, Mark Hedges there out of Shreveport or Bossier city, Louisiana. He's also a um, Elvis impersonator. And uh, we had a sales meeting. I think it was in Oklahoma city. And he came out in full Elvis gear with a bunch of fake diamond rings that looked like, you know, Super Bowl rings, but they they spelled out TCCB, that stood for Taking Care of Compresco Business. And I forget even mm-hmm. what Elvis song it was, but he did a parody, changed all the words over to make it about compressors. And it was an internal meeting; we didn't have any customers there. But I don't, Thank think, God. I ever, I don't
1: really think I've like, ever. I customers there. <laughs> I don't think
0: I've ever laughed harder in my life. At a, a work-related uh, presentation, if you will, uh, for Mark Hedges. But my end of things, you know, you know, the one thing that I used to have to be pretty bold about was that most people that do what I do do not have an engineering degree. You know, good yeah. or, you know, there's a lot of guys who are smarter than me that don't have an engineering degree. But it was sometimes the foot in the door, and you'd go to an office and you'd try to get a meeting unannounced, and the guy would finally come out, and you'd say, sir. I have the same degree as you. Can I get five minutes of your time? And 10 years into this role, I've probably used that line a dozen times, and it's worked a dozen times. And uh, not to say that some people may not have thought I was a bit cocky or arrogant by throwing that out there, but it gave me the five minutes I needed to sell them something. That's right. And I've always uh, you know, leaned on my engineering degree when I needed to and uh, kept it very, very hush hush when I needed to not let anybody know I was an engineer you know, when I'm talking to the field folks. So... Uh, when it comes to comes to presentations and and funny presentations and memorable experiences, Mark Hedges takes the cake with his uh, with his Elvis parody. <laughs> I'll never forget it.
1: That is crazy. I, I, I'm I'm so happy that you said that it wasn't in front of clients. But man, that would have been funny. <laughs> oh yeah.
2: At least it wasn't somebody like uh, electrocuting themselves when they're trying to plug the generator in or whatever whatever you have to do out in the field. But. <laughs> yeah. I, can well, I was just imagining,
1: mean. hey, we have the best generator. Let's hook up the gas line, and the thing doesn't work, or something, or you know, the compressor doesn't compress, or something. Well, so, we Alex-
0: certainly, uh, let's not let's not uh, fool ourselves. We've had startups that uh, didn't go uh, as planned uh, on on right. both compressors and the generators. Fortunately, nobody's ever been hurt, and uh, we've been able to rectify those situations pretty quickly. But I wouldn't really classify them as comical. So.
2: Yeah Alex I want to I got a couple more questions but one thing I want to talk about you know you and I live like half a mile apart from each other and we're on the very east side of Boulder County. Boulder County for those who don't know is very very liberal. But if you go about 3 miles east of here you're in Weld County, the most conservative place on earth where they're drill baby drill. So around the time that proposition 112 which was very contentious out in Colorado which effectively would have banned fracking entirely in the state. And even though Colorado has become a blue state, oil and gas is part of its DNA. It was shot down, right? Which I thought was kind of interesting. But Alex, tell me about what the perspective was during that time. If you were, you know, out in Weld County on a business deal versus if you're going out into a bar here in Boulder County, I have my own experiences on that, but tell me about some of the arguments or some of the perception that people have around fracking here versus how it is just five minutes away.
0: You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a really, really valid question because uh, in Weld County, you know, we're one of them and, and you're fully supported and you're embraced. But, you know, you and I, we do enjoy a cold beverage from time to time. And and uh, being a petroleum engineer in, in Boulder County, uh, and I'm not very uh, one to pass. Hey, Alex,
1: that. as you were saying, we <laughs> enjoy a cold beer from time to time. He is drinking a hazy IPA. Shh. Yeah, Shh. yeah.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I'm glad he is. I think we may our, grab one after the call. It's already,
1: the position of that was too fun. Well, <laughs> the,
0: the thing in Boulder County though, you know, I don't really keep my mouth shut. I'm proud of our business and I have a lot of uh, information to back up my claims. Uh, so when I get to a bar and I'm, you know, meet someone and I tell them that I'm a petroleum engineer, I work in oil and gas, you know, immediately is you hate the world. You put profits before people. Yep. All you care about is yourself. You're selfish. You know, all these the, the typical things you hear from, from a left-wing perspective. And, um, you know, to my surprise, pleasant surprise, the majority of those people that aren't just fully head in the sand and hate you, that are willing to listen to another perspective, you know, I've got enough knowledge and I, I'm pretty good at delivering a message that I, I've sat down on countless occasions with all walks of life and explained the importance of what we do, how well we do it in Colorado, and how poorly some other states in the union and how poorly other countries in the world do it. And totally. I do you think that our ozone and our world and our climate knows where this oil and gas and these emissions are produced from? The answer is no. So if you don't want to see a rig, I can understand that you don't like the sound and the smell. But if you really care about the world, you'd want every oil and gas molecule to be produced in Colorado where we have the tightest rules in the country. And I got <laughs> and I go on to explain, you know, when you're over in the Middle East or Russia or wherever else, or hell, Oklahoma or Texas, it's not, near, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> It's not near as clean. it's not near as it's not near as well done. And uh, I try to explain to them that Colorado is a model for what is going to be a bridge fuel of natural gas and oil until we figure out renewable energy. and 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 most of those people that are willing to listen really, you know, almost thank me at the end of it for enlightening them in a, in a non-controversial way. That's not to say that I haven't ran into the the full controversy where they basically still hate me at the end of my conversation. (laughs) You can't win them all, Um, but it's been been a fun experience.
1: Well, and you could always just say that, you know, you're part of the solution. You're uh, generating electricity and reducing flaring. And another thing we do is if you have multiple gas engines on site, they all have
0: emissions. If you have one gas engine that makes all the electricity and everything else can go electric, you've now reduced the emissions from that site quite a bit. I like to say, especially, you know, my wife's not quite as Republican and conservative as I am. So I always tell her I'm doing about the greenest thing I can in the oil and gas business. And uh, some people uh, that and some people understand it. But the fact is, it's true.
2: So we're we're I love that. Thank you. I think, Tim, there was a snippet right there we're going to have to pull. There was a nice 60 seconds or so where we want to take every molecule in the safest and cleanest manner possible. That was awesome. My final question for you. Was the LSU football team last year the greatest college football team in the history of college football?
0: Regardless of where you went, regardless of what you think, it's not debatable. Look at the facts: greatest college football team that's ever been, ever will be, hopefully. And uh, now this year, we can kind of just hang our hat on last year. Others <laughs> uh, are struggling. Uh, we, yeah, we, maybe we, maybe proof of last year. Yeah. Well, when fifteen guys go to the NFL, and you have the you know the number one running back in the, uh, rookie and the number one quarterback rookie and and 13 more supporting cast as well as a lot of guys on the team that elected not to play this year because they know they're still going to be top draft picks next year. Uh, I'm proud to be an LSU Tiger. I think last year was about as good as it gets when it comes to uh, college football.
2: Well, to, to quote a very smart man, go tag us.